I am amazed time and again how God gives us something to speak about when it's our turn to preach or to have devotions. You, you find it that way as well, I'm assuming. This was one of those times where uh, preparing for this message, I didn't have as many opportunities as normal because of the, the activities of the week before. Usually I try to study at least a week ahead, and the week before um, we had a wedding, all the activities surrounding that, but <clears throat> I was, uh, wasn't sure where I'm going with this message this week, but as I found a bit of time in the middle of the week, a couple days to um, search for what God had, he started making that clear, and this morning my study went very well. Uh, in spite of being gone the last couple of days with the men at the cabin, that was also another uh, time where I, I normally would study on Friday and Saturday. And that didn't happen, but God provided. So I just wanted to just give him glory for that again and your prayers as well. Um, at least five of you texted again this morning as you normally do. And that is pre appreciated. Just letting me know that you're praying. Your comments were interesting here about... Um, how that the children of Israel claimed, or Aaron said, they, they threw this gold in the fire and a calf just came out. And it, when you said that, it reminded me of some of these theories of evolution where, you know, out of nowhere, just something just kind of took shape or a big bang happened and then some cells started coming together. And someone said once it's, it's a little bit like there would be a massive explosion in the junkyard and out comes a Lamborghini. Uh, all perfect and ready to go. We, we know that's never going to happen. There's no one on planet Earth that would claim that will ever happen by blowing up a junkyard. And yet, <clears throat> sometimes we as humans, when we're trying to cover our tracks, we say some pretty silly things. Foolish, like the, the scripture in, in the, um, Sunday school talked about. <clears throat> This morning, the message is called The Curse of Idolatry. It's going to be an expository message from 1 Corinthians 10. This is a chapter that I read several months ago, and I haven't forgotten that I wrote it down as something that I should come back to and study for a sermon. As I read it a number of months ago, I'm not sure when in my personal devotions probably, there were some things that really stood out to me about this chapter. There's a lot here. And um, I love stories from the Bible. I can understand the concepts better when there's a story with it. And um, Paul, as he writes this letter to the Corinthian church, in this case, he used a story about their ancestors and to make a point about their own lives. And it's a really great analogy, and one that I think they probably understood really well, much better even than we do. <clears throat> but, um, so 1 Corinthians 10 will be the text this morning, and one of the, um, I guess in the last minutes of my study, it, the, the, the kind of the thrust of this chapter came together in a way it never did before. Um, it, it started becoming clear to me what Paul is really, really saying here. It looks as though he has several different topics he's addressing throughout chapter 10, but it's all tied together. 
uh, very clearly when you start looking at it from that perspective. And one of um, the commentaries that I found, it said that this chapter includes a rather bizarre retelling of Israel's exodus to illustrate for the Corinthians their own precarious position as a church living in a wilderness time, a limbo of sorts between their newfound freedom in Christ and the weighted fruition of God's kingdom. Now, I'm going to say it in my own words. This was an eloquent commentator of some kind. But it seems that the Corinthian church here and the culture they were living in, they allowed their freedom in Christ, which meant in the New Testament church, God told them that the, all these ceremonial laws that he had given hundreds of years before, long time before, that many of them were now no longer in effect. They had a newfound freedom in Christ. There was a grace. There was a freedom. Uh, there was a personal walk with God. And, and they had allowed this freedom to cause them to become arrogant, a little careless, and um, as that became clear to me just in the last minutes of my study, I was amazed how similar that is to what we are seeing in the culture in America today, <clears throat> the uh, Christian culture. And Paul was warning them to uh, that, that, that carelessness, that arrogance with their freedom in Christ was going to be a disaster for them. If they didn't rein that in and realize that, that the way they were living was not working. And he addresses in the book of Corinthians a number of major issues in, with the church. And so um, the, the first part of it here, he's talking about the children of Israel. And I guess I should read some of this. I'm going to read maybe at least the first dozen verses. Uh, we'll decide where we stop as we go. But 1 Corinthians 10 uh, Paul says this, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. This was the children of Israel's journey from Egypt to Canaan that he's talking about. And they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat. And they did all drink the same spiritual drink. For Now notice all these things that were the same for the entire congregation of the children of Israel. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is referring to the scripture Vern read. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples, or examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Now Paul is writing to Corinth, but it also says in the, in the first chapter of Corinthians that this is written to the church of Corinth and to all churches everywhere. It's a 
excuse me, I believe uh, God is using this to speak directly to us today. In fact, I'm, I'm positive of that. That all this admonition is for us. And, and so think about that as we, as we go through this scripture here. The children of Israel in this state of limbo between Egypt and Canaan, this journey, they became arrogant and unthankful. And it didn't turn out well for most of them. <clears throat> uh, he speaks here about idols. And in Deuteronomy 27, 15, God gave them this very clear message. He said, Cursed be the man that maketh any graven or molten image an abomination unto the Lord. The work of the hands of the craftsman and putteth it in a secret place and all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Now, when you think about this story that I just read here in Corinthians, this story about the children of Israel, it's shocking to realize that when they left Egypt, there was a time in there where they numbered all the men. They took account of the men. And every one of the men that was 20 years or older was dead before their children went into Canaan. That old. It was only 40 years later. There were just 60. Caleb and Joshua lived to be much older than that, so we know that was common, or at least many people did. So, why of, of the men 20 years old and upward, there was only two that made it Joshua and Caleb. All the rest died in the wilderness. And it had nothing to do with how they left Egypt. They all left the same way. It had nothing to do, the, the difference between those two men and the rest is what I'm talking about here. Why did two men make it and the rest didn't? It had nothing to do with how they went through the sea. It says they were all baptized in the sea as they crossed over. It had nothing to do with the food and water they drank. No one starved on that journey. God provided for all of them the same way. The manna and the quail. It had nothing to do with the God that led and provided for them. It was the same God for everybody. It wasn't even the family they were raised in that made the difference. Joshua and Caleb did not make it to the promised land because of the family they were raised in. That had nothing to do with it. They may have had godly parents, but that's not why they made it there. All the rest of these men that did not make it, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of them, all the rest of them were 20 years and older when they left Egypt. They knew better. They were old enough to make their own decisions. And it says in verse 5, or in verse 1 to 4, it, it says, it talks about the journey, all of them did this, all of them did this, but with many of them, God was not pleased. <clears throat> In Exodus 17, I'm going to look at a few of these examples of things that they did on that journey. And again, the point here is not to tell you about the children of Israel. The point is for you to put yourself in this story. And let God show you where you're at. What idols you might have in your life. Exodus 17. 
verse 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide you with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is, that, is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people that be almost ready to stone me? They didn't have water, and instead of asking God for water, they just yelled at Moses. Another one, and actually, let's go back to let's go back to Exodus 32, the scripture that was just read. And when the people, or 32, 1 to 4, and when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know where he, we don't know what became of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons, your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron, and he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. Notice he made this on purpose. It didn't just pop out of the fire. After he had made it a molten calf, and they said, These be your gods. How can this happen? A very short time before, God had split the waters of the Red Sea and became dry land for them to walk through. And when they were done, the Egyptians tried to come through and they were drowned in the water. What else did they need for evidence that God was going to take care of them? Numbers 21. <clears throat> Seems like they got a little bored here and decided to enjoy their lives. Numbers 21, 1 to 5. And when King Arad the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, if thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them in their cities, and he called the name of the place Hormah. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged by the way. And the people spake against God, and against Moses, wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and a soul loatheth this light bread. <clears throat> um, this is a different story than what I was thinking I was going to be reading, but it's one of the ones I wanted to read. And so here again, they were like, we're hungry. Where's the food? Instead of bringing it to God, they yelled at Moses. 
Let's see. Numbers 25. 1 to 5. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And he, they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bow down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. And there was a bunch of people killed there. <clears throat> the difference between Joshua, Caleb, and all the rest of the hundreds of thousands of men was what their idols were. Now, Joshua and Caleb didn't have idols. They worshiped God. But it's what they chose to set their heart on. That was the only difference. The only real difference maker. What they decided to do. What you listen to, what you follow, what you admire, what you respect, what you spend your time on, all of you, is what will decide your destination. And making this bringing us kind of into this story here in 1 Corinthians where he says <clears throat> all of them had the same experience. <clears throat> we as a church here, all of us <clears throat> come together on Sunday mornings. <clears throat> we all hear the same sermons. <clears throat> we have many of the same values. <clears throat> Most of us have been baptized. <clears throat> We've had very similar experiences together. But we're not all going to end up with the same result. Because each of us has personal choices to make about where we will set our heart. And I know how tricky it is. I'm now 51, and it hasn't gotten any easier. There's still plenty of allurements, plenty of temptations, plenty of idols that are screaming for my attention. <clears throat> As I meditated on the story this morning of the people of Israel here, I realized that so often today, we, we analyze outcomes of people's lives, especially the decisions they make and the direction they take. And we try to understand, like, what was wrong that caused this? Like, if this person didn't turn out well, was something wrong at home? Or was what, what, what was the, the thing that drove him to be what he was? Well, the, the experiences we have do become part of us. <clears throat> but
But that's not what makes us who we are. Remember, Joshua and Caleb's experience was exactly the same as all the rest of the people of Israel. Same God, same tabernacle, same food, same, the same. But only two made it. <clears throat> so, with that being the case, well, I've already probably uh, kind of answered this question, but with that being the case, the question would be, what, what did God do wrong? What did God do wrong to cause the people's hearts to turn away from him? How, how did he lose their heart? What did he do wrong as a father? That's right. Yeah, I think that I think that point is obvious. Exactly. You're exactly right, Amos. God didn't do anything wrong. We as fathers and mothers and leaders do things wrong. But none of us get to say, well, that's why I made this choice. It's what our heart is set on that 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 causes us to take a direction, not the things that happen to us. <clears throat> Going back to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. These Israelites just left their desires take over. There when Moses was up on the mount and, and Aaron made that calf, it seemed like maybe they were getting a little bored there too or, or they, were, they weren't sure why he was gone so long and they were kind of like, well, you know, what do we do in the meantime? You know, Moses isn't here to lead us. And, and they, they just, so, so then they decided to make a calf and worship the calf. And at that point, their desires just took over. They became sexually immoral. They, they, they just, they were, they were having a party. They were literally having a big party. There was loud music. If you remember the story as Moses and Joshua came down from the mountain, um, Joshua said, it sounds like there's war in the camp. And Moses said, oh no, it's not war. That's the sound of music. There's a party going on down there. They just left their desires roll. Verse 11, neither murmur ye as some of them murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for examples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. I believe that that verse I just read there was directly addressing the arrogance of the, this Corinthian church. He said, you, you, you have your freedom in Christ. You've been saved. You're born again. You're on the way to heaven. And you're just, in the meantime, your, your freedom has gotten the best of you. You're living it up. And you're about to crash. In fact, some of them had. 
there was a lot of terrible immorality going on in the church at Corinth. And um, there was a lot of fighting among the church. They were even taking each other to, to court and suing each other. It was just a mess there. <clears throat> the side margin of my Bible there says, um, right beside there, verses 11 and 12 says, life in a wilderness typical of the Christian life. And there are so many lessons we can learn from the children of Israel in that journey. The opportunity they had to walk with God, God providing for them, and they just becoming completely ungrateful. When we read the story, all of us shake our heads and we're like, what was wrong with those people? But we do the same thing. Verse 14, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. One thing I didn't check into, but I'm not aware that the Corinthian church had idols that were made of wood and stone. Maybe somebody did, but I don't think that's the kind of idols he was talking about here. He was talking about where their heart was set. Flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. He goes on to say, let's jump to verse 20, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to idols, to devils, and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the tables of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And one of the things, again, he's addressing their freedom because the, the, the fact was that, that there were idols in the city of Corinth. And there was food being offered to idols. And in Corinthians here, Paul makes it clear that for a believer to, to eat food that was offered to idols, the offering of that food to idols didn't really change the food or the outcome of you eating it necessarily as a believer. In other words, the thing in itself wasn't necessarily wrong. But the mixing of right and wrong together is where the problem is. You, you can't mix good and evil and get by. Eventually, the evil will overtake the good as you try to blend them together and experience both. And I believe that's exactly what the church is doing. Again, their freedom they were free. The, the, the law wasn't there. They didn't have to follow all the ceremonial laws. They're, they were covered by the blood. They didn't have to offer sacrifices for their sins anymore. And they said, we're good to go. And they became careless. And it began to get the best of them. And I think that 14 to 22, that's the point he's making here again. That while there's, and, and he talks about that again over the next verses. In fact, we'll get to that some more. Let's read 22 to 33, or 23 to 33. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. 
for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience' sake. But if any man say unto you, This was offered to an idol, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not of thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judge of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I gave thanks? Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And that's the key right there. We'll come back to that idea. Give none offense, neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. All things are lawful, but they don't all edify. There's a lot of things, quite a few things, that you can do that are not wrong. But the outcome over time will not be good. How can that be? It's just how it works. He, he uses the word expedient here. This is an English word. That wasn't the word used when they wrote this. But the idea here of expedient, which explains somewhat, I think, what they're talking about. When, when something is expedient, it's, it, it's a thing that will get the job done. It's something that's a little bit questionable, but it's practical to get the job done. And so we can say, you know what? Yeah, it may not be the best, but it works. And the good will, you know, the good will overcome the evil. Like, in other words, the, the end will justify the means. That's the point of expedient. Uh, something that is used to achieve a, particularly, a particular end quickly or temporarily. Something that's often a little shady. And then in the New Living Translation, it says, you say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. And again, I'm going to say it again. There are many things that you can do that are put before you, opportunities you have, things you can do that in themselves, in the moment, may not be wrong at all necessarily. But maybe it offends your brother, your sister. I'm talking about in the brotherhood. Or a friend. Or a child. And Paul says they become wrong at that point. There's three things I noticed that I pulled out of here um, that, that Paul says this, in these three contexts things are wrong that aren't otherwise wrong. If it grieves your own conscience, if there's something you do that, that may be completely okay for the next person to do, but it bothers you, you better not do it. It becomes wrong. The Bible says it becomes wrong because it's wrong for you. Number two, it, if it causes a brother to stumble, if someone around you is weak and they see you doing this thing, and they consider it an evil thing. And they see you just doing it anyway, 
not caring about their, own, their, their conscience. Are you responsible for your brother? I mean, what's that? You're saying you are your brother's keeper? Okay. Cain didn't want to be his brother's keeper. He tried to wiggle out of it. <clears throat> but, but I say, yes, we are responsible for the downfall of our brother if there's something we knowingly are doing that will cause him to stumble. And number three, if it will cause shame to the name of God rather than bringing him glory. And I think those three things can help us a lot. Again, we, we're living in the same age of freedom. God has given us a lot of freedom. One example that is very practical for us because we view it different than others. What we do on Sundays. What's right to do on Sunday? And what isn't? We as what many call Anabaptists, conservative, um, Amish, Mennonites, have chosen to draw a line at a different place on that. <clears throat> you see, there's a lot of things we could do that aren't necessarily wrong. I believe God's given us a lot of freedom. But in honoring the principle of rest and worship of God, when we choose not to do things because of the principle, it brings blessing. When we blatantly run over it, ultimately over time it causes it may cause a brother to stumble. It may cause your own life to eventually go the wrong way. And again, that's just one example um, of, of a, where we, we as people draw different lines. I don't necessarily mean us right here, but like people in general. <clears throat> so th this is my suggestion. Well, let's read 31 to 33 again. Whether therefore you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men and all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. So at the end of the day, what, what will bring God the most glory? Me surrendering my rights to avoid offending my brother? Me giving up some of my idols? Or standing for the truth regardless what my brother may think of me? We can say, the Bible says it's okay to do that. So it's none of your business what I do. But I think Paul is very clearly here in his last number of verses saying, that may be true that the thing's not wrong. But what about your brother? And I think, again, the church in America is living exactly just like this church in so many ways. They have chosen to take their freedom in Christ and make it an opportunity to do many things that ultimately, in the end, are not taking them where they want to go. <clears throat> They've turned because of their freedom. America has turned to idols. Media, 
sports, music. Oh, it's not wrong. You can't tell me it's wrong to listen to this music or to watch this game. Maybe not technically. But what is the outcome? Is it your idol? And is it going to cause your brother to stumble? That's exactly what Paul is addressing. And it is so practical for us today. Let's kneel and pray. Thank you, God, this morning for the truth and clarity of your word. And yes, you've given us many choices. You've allowed us to decide what we will do with our lives. And we have many freedoms in this day and time, this time of grace. We thank you for that. The blessing of having our sins covered and having so many freedoms in Christ that the Old Testament men and women of God did not have. But help us to not take those things for granted, to not use them carelessly, to see that we don't allow idols to take over our lives. And also that we don't cause our brother to stumble with the freedoms that you've given us. Thank you again so much for this scripture and for what it can teach us. Help us to live into this truth in the best way that we know how. In Jesus' name, amen.